Well, one, I think that students need to understand that STEM is important, but critical thinking is important too. Soft skills are important as hard skills. That they need to have the ability to engage the world around them, to ask smart questions, to study and research and discover truth, and that the humanities allows us to really make sense of who we are, what we are, what we were, and where we're going. Hi, I'm Kimberly McCorkle, Provost and Senior Vice President for Academics at East Tennessee State University. From the moment I arrived on this campus, I have been inspired by our faculty, their passion for what they do, their belief in the power of higher education, and the way they are transforming the lives of their students. This podcast is dedicated to them, our incredible faculty at ETSU. Hear their stories as they tell us why I teach. In this episode, we will talk with Dr. Daryl Carter, who in 2021 became the ETSU College of Arts and Sciences first Associate Dean of Equity and Inclusion. An ETSU alumnus, Dr. Carter joined the ETSU faculty in 2008. He serves as a professor of history and director of ETSU's Black American Studies program. In addition to his work at ETSU, he is a member of the Tennessee Historical Society Board of Directors and served as chair of the Board of Directors of Humanities Tennessee. Enjoy the show. Dr. Carter, welcome to the show. I start my podcast with the same question for every guest. Take me back to your first day of teaching at ETSU as a faculty member. And looking back on that day, what is one piece of advice you would have given yourself? Well, good morning, Dr. McCorkle. Thank you for having me today. I would say that my first memory, uh, my biggest memory was being here on August 25th of 2008, which was 11 years to the day after I came here as a freshman. Wow. So that was really heavy yeah. uh, on my mind that day. I was extremely nervous mm -hmm. because I was in the classroom basically on my own for the first time. Yeah. I had served as a graduate assistant here and at the University of Memphis, but this was my first class. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do well, and I didn't sleep well the night before, and I was still working on my PhD, so I was a little in insecure about that. So my, those first memories were jitters, they mm -hmm. were insecurity, that I wanted to do well, and then just thinking, you know, just 11 years ago, I was here walking on the campus as a freshman going right. to English class, so. Wow. So what would you tell yourself about those jitters and sort of what to what to make of that? Well, one, I would tell myself to, to relax, mm -hmm. uh, not to take myself so seriously. Yeah. Number two, that, you know, as you go into the classroom, mm -hmm. you have this feeling that everything needs to be perfect. Right. Everything has to be just right. And that you have to have all this detail, all this information. But your students, they really don't know as much as you think that they do. Mm -hmm. So if you're just a little bit ahead of them, you're usually in a good space. And what I mean by yeah. that is if they knew as much as I had thought they knew, they wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> they were here to learn from me. And right. so I would tell myself, give yourself some grace, yeah. relax, and realize that they're here to learn and they don't know as much. And just enjoy yeah. the students. And I've been able to do that my entire career. And not just in teaching, but learning, because mm -hmm. I learned so much from my students yeah. about life, about history, about black American studies, 
about the country. That's great advice. So there's a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that says, we are not makers of history, we are made by history. How do you impress upon your students the importance of understanding the past and how it relates to the present and to the future? Well, I talk about that in several ways as I go through the course of a semester. One, I explain to the students that when you study history, you are studying people, not just dead people, not just events, uh, not just long past Mm -hmm. types of situations, but you're studying yourself. So everything that we do from our love lives, romance, uh, work, healthcare, Mm -hmm. everything has a history to it. And if you don't know some of the basics of American history, you're really vulnerable to a lot of negative things, whether it's disinformation and misinformation, Mm -hmm. whether it's political propaganda, whether you do not understand the basics of labor history in the country and how we got to this place here in 2023. So getting students to understand that this is not just about other people, it's about themselves, and it's about them taking ownership of themselves and their own future Mm -hmm. by engaging the past to inform their decision-making. You are a strong advocate for the humanities here at ETSU and statewide. How do you share and instill the passion for the humanities in your students? Well, one, I think that students need to understand that STEM is important. But critical thinking is important too. Soft skills are important as hard skills. Mm -hmm. That they need to have the ability to engage the world around them, to ask smart questions, to study and research and discover truth. Mm -hmm. And that the humanities allows us to really make sense of who we are, what we are, what we were and where we're going. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that in engineering. You don't get that in necessarily mathematics or business. You get that Mm -hmm. from the humanities. You get that from programs like history or black American studies, women, gender and sexuality studies, literature Mm -hmm. and language, theater and dance. The humanities teaches us about ourselves in a way that makes us versatile, that makes us attractive to employers that makes Mm -hmm. us better citizens, better community partners, and it also helps us to hopefully not re-engage in behavior that has been destructive in the past. So Mm -hmm. we're using those lessons to make sense of our present. Dr. Carter, as you know, we recently launched our community-engaged quality enhancement plan that's called Go Beyond the Classroom. How do you think the humanities will fit into our QEP, helping to involve more students in community-engaged learning? I think it's absolutely critical that our students have a strong humanities experience on our campus. I think it's critical to the QEP. When we're talking about community-engaged learning, there's nothing in my mind that's more important in that regard than our students being able to take what they learn in the classroom and Mm -hmm. apply it outside the classroom, whether it's service learning projects, whether it's nonprofits, whether it's the corporate sector, business sector, whether it's entertainment, they need that experience. And so taking humanities education and humanities values out into the real world Mm -hmm. and applying them is very, very important. I think that's why humanities should be at the center of all talk about QEP. Yeah, well, that's great. Dr. Carter, your area of expertise really focuses on the intersections of race, class, and gender, and how they impact American political history. 
Some chapters of our nation's history are quite painful and difficult to discuss. So how do you guide these conversations in your classroom when they come up? Well, number one, we have to start with a floor of respect. Mm -hmm. I will respect you, you will respect me, and you will respect your fellow classmates. The topics that we discuss are going to be sensitive. They could be around racism or xenophobia or the Holocaust or sexual assault or something else. And we have to be sensitive to that. We also need to engage in rigorous and vigorous debate. Mm -hmm. And so that means we don't attack individuals. We may attack ideas, though. We may Mm -hmm. say that's a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. But we never say you're a bad individual. Right. And so we acknowledge on the front end, this is difficult. This is challenging. This is not going to make you feel comfortable. But this is why it's important that we have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And to that end, we use the safety of the classroom Mm -hmm. to engage in conversations that sometimes we're not always able to have in the public spaces and the public squares because of the intensity of the moment, the intensity of the feelings and emotions surrounding it. And so guiding these conversations has to have respect. It has to have, you know, this, this compassion for others, a recognition that somebody may be wrong, but they have a right to feel the way they want to feel about Mm -hmm. a situation and that we are there to keep them as a part of the conversation, regardless of how they feel about the issue, to Mm -hmm. keep that conversation going. And so dealing with difficult and painful issues in the classroom is part of what we do. If we're not making the students feel uncomfortable from time to time, Mm -hmm. we're not really doing our job. And I think if we would take these types of lessons into the public square, we would be better served as a country. Mm, Thank you. The Black American Studies program has recently hosted quite an impressive list of guest lecturers, writers, and artists. We welcomed a former poet laureate, Natasha Trethaway, to campus last spring, and I was honored to introduce poet Nikki Giovanni, who visited campus in the fall. There have been many other well-known guests who've provided engaging educational experiences for our students and for the broader community. In what ways do you see the Black American Studies program making an impact upon our students and the university? Well, one, I think that the program is interdisciplinary, and that is absolutely vital to understanding what we do. We engage with Appalachian Studies, the Department of History, the Department of Literature and Language, Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies, and others across campus. And so bringing that interdisciplinary vibe to it is very important, A. Secondly, I would also say that the program is vital in terms of preparing students for the world that they're about to inherit. We are not a majority country anymore in terms of white America. We are now right there at a majority minority country in which people identify as something other than white or biracial or triracial, mm-hmm. et cetera. Having understanding about the African-American experience gives you understanding about the women's rights movement, about the Latin rights movement, about welfare rights, about Native American rights, about others, because a lot of them followed black Americans in terms of tactics, strategies, language, rhetoric, et cetera. And so I think we play a vital role there. We also play a role in engaging the community. And that's important, getting them to events, but also having conversations. So I give a lot of discussions about the black American experience from various perspectives. Later this afternoon, I'll be at the Langston Center where I will talk about Dr. King where I've talked to their young children, you know, school-age children. So I think we play a vital role in helping our own students, but also the community-facing aspects of the university. Yeah. 
So what are some of your goals for the Black American Studies program moving forward? Well, obviously we want to grow. So we started three years ago when I took over the program with four students. We're now up to around 15 and we're Mm -hmm. continuing to grow. I just got an email last night from a student wanting to talk about enrolling in the program right after spring break. So we're real excited and we're about to reach out to our academic advisors to talk about promoting the program for students who are getting ready to register in April. Secondly, we want to have a graduate component of it Mm -hmm. in future years where students can either get an an MA in the program or they can get a graduate certificate in the program. And we also want to explore partnerships with the Department of History and Appalachian Studies in particular, those Mm -hmm. two departments, where we are making excellent use of our resources, faculty and otherwise, to give a diverse experience and to give a, a really good understanding of blacks in Appalachia which is critical for getting rid of these myths that Appalachia is monolithic, Mm -hmm. which it is not. And so those are some of our goals. We also want to do more with the community. We want to do more mentorship with the community. We have a student group, the W.E.B. Du Bois Society, which is just getting off the ground. We've got about 15 or so students, not all of whom are minors in the program. And so we want to grow that as well. So there's a number of things we're working on. It's great. I look forward to hearing more about all of that. As you look back over the figures who have shaped our country, who inspires you the most? Oh, that, that is a tough question. Outside of, you know, I'll give you an example, outside of baseball, which mm-hmm. is my favorite sport, my favorite team is the New York Mets, which means I spend a lot of time disappointed. <laughs> but um, I say that because almost everything else, I have like 20 different favorites. Mm-hmm. So, but I will throw out a few here. One, Senator Edward Kennedy of Massachusetts. One, I'm writing a, a book on him now. But secondly, the man lost all three of his brothers mm-hmm. violently, lost nieces and nephews, lost his own dignity by his own fault. But the, the sheer willpower to keep at it to yeah. keep going when all the shine of the Kennedy name went away, when all the scandals started to emerge in the 70s, and he kept going away and was able to retire from life, literally, when he died in 2009, is arguably the top two or three United States senators. He authored hundreds and hundreds of bills that were vital to the country's welfare, everything from the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act to Title IX to children's health insurance, so much more. So he's one. And I like the fact that he was so badly flawed in key mm. ways, whether it was the womanizing, the yeah. drinking, all those kinds of things. And still, he was able to move forward. Ida B. Wells would be another one. The great risk that she took to describe lynching mm-hmm. in the South, and particularly when she was in Memphis, she eventually drove her away out of Memphis for safety reasons. It was incredible for a society to claim that they were doing nothing wrong. They sure got violent when people described what they were doing. Yeah. And so the great risk that she took to do that was important. W.E.B. Du Bois is another one. He lived almost 100 years, was an original member of the NAACP, one of the original editors of the Crises magazine, and a premier American intellectual. So he's, a, he's another one. I would also say that James Baldwin would be another personal favorite of mine. He, some scholars would say the, the lion's share of his work 
in terms of great importance came early in his career in the 50s and in the 60s. But his career lasted 30 plus years and he was one of the most prominent black intellectuals in the country. So I find uh, him to be particularly valuable in terms of inspiration. He's doing it at a time where it is very taboo to be male, black, and gay. Mm -hmm. And that I find particularly noteworthy. When he takes on William F. Buckley, when he takes on some others who -hmm. are basically justifying segregation and racism and things of that nature was fascinating to me. And recent years, young people have become a big fan and source of inspiration to me because they're looking around them at people like us who are much older than they are, whom are not necessarily preparing the country for the future Mm -hmm. in the way that we should. And they're saying, no, there are things we can do to improve the country. We can get involved locally. We can get involved with the community. We can do education programs, food drives. We can engage business locally. We can create our own businesses. Seeing that is important because it means that there is a bright future coming, in part because the young people are not following in the same mistakes that earlier generations made. So that's important to me. All of your examples remind me of a recent opportunity I had to visit in Memphis, the Mm -hmm. Civil Rights Museum. And thinking about that experience and how impactful that could be for students to sort of observe the history, but also to view it as a call to action about things that can be done now to address societal issues. What's been your experience with the Civil Rights Museum and thoughts about bringing students there to experience it? I think it's a great idea. And I'm currently, I just had a meeting with my student group last week, Mm -hmm. and I said that may be on the agenda for 2324. That's great. If not there, then somewhere else that we can go. I did my PhD at the University of Memphis, and so I'm very familiar with the Civil Rights Museum, and we had relationships there. One of my main advisors' wife worked there, Mm. and my main advisor lived across the street. So I spent a lot of time there. I I think it's a wonderful place, Mm -hmm. in part because what they were able to do with it, but also because of the history that's there. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem that I see now Mm -hmm. is that people do not want to discuss what happened. Yeah not just with King, but with race and gender overall. You cannot discuss American history without talking about African Americans. It just doesn't happen. Beyond that, we watched as a lot of white Southerners, for example, were exploited Mm -hmm. because others, particularly political elites, were exploiting their racial grievances. Mm -hmm. And so going to these places and saying, okay, yeah, that happened. How do we not repeat that is important. How do we give everybody dignity and respect? How do we bring everybody to the table? And last but not least, we talk about business all the time, especially here in the South, uh, that tends to be allegedly more business friendly. But at the same time, I will simply say, when we exclude men, women, people of different races, whatever, there's a human cost to that. Mm -hmm. There's a financial cost to that. What are you losing in terms of productivity? because you did not hire this person or you excluded this person or because you created policies that drove others away. And so we have to look at this holistically and Mm -hmm. say, are we getting everything we can possibly get out of people by making sure that we are giving those two things, dignity and respect? Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite topic or lecture that you like to present to your students? I have a couple. I love 
talking about the Kennedy administration. Mm-hmm. I like talking about the assassinations, John Kennedy in particular. My students get a kick out of some of the more salacious parts of that, both with the assassination and President Kennedy's private life. And I get all kinds of questions about, well, how could that possibly happen? And where was CNN during all this? And uh. I have to explain to them, <laughs> CNN didn't exist. Right. You know, totally different environment. Yeah. And so I, I enjoy giving that lecture. I like talking about reconstruction, mm-hmm. not because it's a pleasant topic, but because it's an important topic. All that hope at the end of the war, over 12 years, just goes away. And by 1900, Rayfer Logan talks about the nadir of black life mm-hmm. because it's all gone there. And that's why Ida yeah. B. Wells and other women, particularly black women, are coming forward because it's so dangerous for black men to go into the public square at that point. They're being yeah. lynched, they're being arrested, they're being put on convict lease systems, chain gangs, you mm-hmm. name it. And I don't think you can talk about the 20th century or the 21st century without mm-hmm. talking about that. Some of the response to President Obama was almost identical in language to what we would have heard 140 years ago. Yeah. And so that's another important lecture for me to give. That's great. Finally, what impact do you hope to make on your students? I hope that when my students leave my classroom, that one, they'll feel that they had a faculty member who truly cared about them, mm-hmm. who wanted them to succeed who was inclusive and open to them and their ideas. A professor today felt that they can trust. Yeah. That gave them valuable tools in terms of analysis and interpretation and critical thinking that is going to allow them to pursue their dreams, uh, Mm -hmm. their goals, their life's mission. So I want students Mm -hmm. to feel that they were in a sense loved here and when they go away that they have fond memories of that and that they want to pay that forward when they're in positions of authority in their own lives, whether it's their children or their workplace or graduate school or they go into the profession themselves as academics. Mm -hmm. I want them to pay that forward. So I'm really big on not replicating the types of mistakes that you and I learned in graduate school and Mm -hmm. professional schools and that the students coming away are healthier than Mm -hmm. what they were in previous generations. That's great. Thank you, Daryl. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I appreciate the work that you do to promote equity and inclusion at ETSU and the impact that you make on your students every day in the classroom. Thanks for listening to Why I Teach. For more information about Dr. Carter, ETSU's Black American Studies program or this podcast series, visit the ETSU Provost website at etsu.edu slash provost. You can follow me on Twitter at ETSU Provost. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to like and subscribe to Why I Teach wherever you listen to podcasts.